Could I have the first slide, please? All right, so when, uh, when somebody asks me, what's the most important aspect of health and healing? Well, we, many of us have heard of the eight natural remedies. And so uh, I remember as a, as a teenager, I, I asked myself the question, well, of these eight natural remedies, which is the most important? It kind of reminiscent of that, of that uh, teacher of the law asking Jesus, of all these commandments, which is the most important? So there's something about human nature that wants to make a list out of what's the most important thing. Is this more important than this, or is this one less important? And, um, and, but today's discussion is going to be on the X factor. So what is the X factor? And, and thank you, Caleb, for, for reading the scripture today. We, God cares about our health. God wants us to make good decisions. And God wants to give us clues as to what every single strategy is that can benefit us holistically, body, mind, and spirit. So Apostle Paul, or Apostle John, says to us, Behold, beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. So God wants us to be healthy in every way, not just spiritually, but physically and emotionally as well, because really, to be able to optimize the, our opportunities spiritually, we have to have a good emotional health, right? right? Uh, okay, spiritual health extends out of emotional health. Okay, and that also, had, there's a big component of physical health that impacts emotional and spiritual health. You really can't have one without the other, is what I'm saying. So, um, let's look at the definitions. If you were to look in the dictionary of what the X factor is, it's a variable in a given situation that could have the most significant impact on an outcome. Another definition would be an important element that has a strong but unpredictable influence. Something that is not specifically identifiable that creates a person's success. I love basketball myself. I love to watch the NBA uh, finals. And, and, and every once in a while, you hear the, uh, the uh, color commentators talking about the, you know, the who's going to win this game. You know, what's What's the X factor? What's that going to be that unpredictable, that unidentifiable element that makes the difference between, between somebody who wins that championship and somebody who does not? Well, as it comes to the, the health X factor, I would say that the X factor is a subtle and almost mysterious part of our lives that has an unexpected underappreciated and yet dramatic effect on our health and healing potential. Well, when, as, as we're in the middle of a three-part series on, on optimizing health and really looking at this Diabetes Undone kickoff weekend, it's important to understand that as we look at the X factor, as we consider what the X factor is, we need to step back and look at the big picture as well because uh, because that X factor is somewhere in this entire global exposome that impacts our health. So the exposome is everything in our lives, everything in our environment, everything that we eat, drink, think, or do that influences 
the, the function of our genes, turning them on or turning them off, changing the exp- very expression of our genes such that we are either at higher risk or lower risk for any disease, any disease that we might otherwise just naturally be genetically susceptible to. So the exposome is almost critical. We need to consider all the factors, but today, what is the X factor? And it begins with an interesting study that that was, uh, was published in a medical journal uh, looking at the association between type 2 diabetes and exposure to persistent organic pollutants. And this study kind of rocked my world of understanding and appreciating what really is responsible for a large percentage of chronic disease today. And so this, this is, was a study uh, conducted by the, uh, by the government, the National Institutes of Health, and, they, and it was an association with the, every, the census every 10 years, and they took a, a large sample of individuals and collected blood samples, and essentially in the blood samples from over 2,000 adult participants, those with the highest concentration of PLPs, persistent organ or organic pollutants, were 38 times more likely to have diabetes. Now, let's just pause for a moment and, and, and understand what 38 times represents. Normally, in health studies, if, if there's a big study done and we find a 20 to 30% increase in risk associated with a given factor, it makes the news. 38 times is, is, is basically 3,800%. Or uh, 3,800%. This is a huge increased risk. And so, so it, we really need to pay attention now. What is actually most responsible for driving the rates of diabetes to, to epidemic levels throughout the world? Interesting study. So, so, so it's food for thought as we, as we move forward. And, and the researchers in, in this study went on to say that even those with less than average levels of toxins in their blood were still 14 times, that's 1,400%, higher risk, more likely to have diabetes than those who had undetectable levels of toxins in their blood. And, and what was really interesting to me here is that they found that obesity, which is commonly considered to be the main reason for type 2 diabetes, was a risk factor for diabetes only if they had blood concentration levels of pollutants above a certain point. In other words, is the weight was not the main reason for the diabetes. It's a reason it's part of that exposome, but we need to be asking a question, what's really most responsible, and how do we address that effectively? And the, there was no association between obesity and diabetes among those with non-detectable levels of toxins. That's a game changer. That's a paradigm shift. That doesn't mean, okay, go ahead and throw caution to the wind, eat all you want, and, and weigh as much as you want, because that's not going to impact your risk for diabetes, because that's not true either. 
Okay? The reality is that what we eat is the number one determinant of how high our toxins are in our blood. So we need to understand the real, the real factors. Now, as I was exploring this concept, I came across a study uh, done by Dr. Michael Skinner at the Washington State University that, that also, even more dramatically, changed my paradigm of understanding health and healing potential and what that true X factor is in our ability to get to that tipping point to reach health and healing. Well, what he found was that the effect of toxins can be passed on up to three and four generations all the way to our great-grandchildren even though, this is the key point of the study, even though those toxins did not cause mutations to the genes of our father or great-grandfather. Whoa, what? It's like this is totally changing our understanding, certainly what I was taught in school about how genes are deterministic for everything, and as long as it didn't affect the genes, then you don't pass that risk on, because the only risk you really pass on is what's happened to your genes, and that is entirely false. In fact, this study is pointing out, and, and now we're better understanding with the, the whole new paradigm of genomic and personalized medicine, that, that the gene actually doesn't determine our risk for the most part, it's what we do with the gene. We are being challenged to be masters of our genome rather than thinking that we are victims of our genome. That's good news, that we can actually master our genome for the most part by paying attention to all the factors that influence it. But what's the X factor? This is the important uh, part of, our X, of, of, of health and healing. Now, when I heard that, and I suspect some of you immediately thought of this as well. When I, when I read in this medical journal about the effect of toxins epigenetically being, being passed on, being inherited up to three and four generations after the individual that was initially exposed to that toxin, I immediately thought of these verses in the Bible that talk about unto the third and fourth generations. Anybody think of that? When I, when I thought, it was, and, and, and it immediately reminded me of something that had troubled me as a young man, as a teenager, as I read through the scriptures, and I, as, I, as I studied the Bible, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd read verses, well, uh, like, like this, Numbers 14, verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in faithful love. Good. That, that's, that's the God I, I understand and the God that I want to love. He, he is slow to anger and abundant in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. That's, that's good. But he won't acquit the guilty. He recalls the iniquity of fathers to the third and the fourth generation. Ooh, that's, that gave me cause for pause. That, that gave me that great concern. What does this mean? That is, is God actually punishing my children and my 
and my great-grandchildren because of what I did? Is he punishing me because of what my great-grandfather did? Whoa. And, and frankly, there's many individuals in the world today that have rejected God because of how they read this verse. Uh, another place in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 34, um, it starts by saying, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. Well, that sounds really good. <laughs> I, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay, it's a little bit more direct, a little bit more plain, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren, the entire family is affected, even children to the third and the fourth generation. Still very troubled by that. It, it's, it's uh, you know, it didn't make any sense to me. It's like, it's like doublespeak. I really love you, but I'm going to punish you anyways. I'm going to punish your children. Is that what it means? So, uh, so let's, let's keep thinking about this. So, um, as I'm going to actually read a, a section from, from the book Hello Healthy that is actually part of a chapter entitled Playing with Poisons, um, uh, dealing, dealing, with, dealing with the effect of toxins in our lives, a, a chapter that focuses on the importance of having a plan of detoxification for optimal health, and, and uh, essentially, again, Dr. Michael Skinner, this biology professor at Washington State University, uh, reported that exposure of pregnant rats to a fungicide uh, caused a significant impairment of health in the next three generations of males, even though all three subsequent generations of rats were never exposed to that fungicide toxin. Dr. Skinner also has shown that without changing or mutating the genetic code, a toxic exposure to a great-grandmother could powerfully affect our risk of many conditions, including high cholesterol, kidney disease, prostate problems, and immune system abnormalities. In fact, one of Discovery Magazine's top stories in 2007 was how three consecutive generations of male rats born to females exposed to this toxin were consistently rejected by potential female partners. Rejection, punishment, being ostracized. Interesting. So, so Dr. Skinner goes on to say, to say that this is, and, and now I'm kind of paraphrasing, he said this is the amazing new field of epigenetic transgenerational inheritance. More sobering is the fact that our children and their grandchildren may inherit not just our genes, but also the expression of our genes. As determined by what we eat, drink, think, how we behave, and how we interact with the world around us. Now, on the bright side... This also means that we can make the lives of our grandchildren much better by educating our children about the power of epigenetic inheritance. In other words, everything that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, up until the point that we conceive children, 
is heritable. Wow. Okay, so that, that you know, it's, it's, maybe, it's a little late for me. I've already have my kids, okay? But, but what about our kids? What about my responsibility to educate my children who have yet to have their own children? Every decision that they're making from day to day isn't just, you know, impacting themselves, but it is creating uh, a, a change of how the genes are expressed in their very own bodies that will actually be inherited by their children and their children and their children. That's, that's a powerful, powerful message of, of responsibility that we all have transgenerationally. I have a responsibility for the decisions that I'm making every day all the way down to my great-grandchildren. Now, what I passed on epigenetically uh, uh, to my, my children, transgenerationally, okay, that was passed down at conception. But we actually also have a powerful influence on the expression of those genes that we've passed down and the, and the way those genes are expressed based on what they have inherited from us, okay, we also have an impact on that by the day-to-day responses that we give and environment that we create for our children after they're born. Powerful, powerful responsibility that we have. Um, now, <laughs> so... We can have identical twins, as you see in this slide, of two young girls that are clearly uh, identical twins. So they're genetically identical, but as, uh, as middle-aged and uh, adults, clearly still genetically genetic twins, identical twins. But one of these women is apparently healthy, and the other one is dying of a terminal disease. Clearly, this is not a cause by a genetic difference, but it is caused by an epigenetic difference because the epigenetics are the things that change the expression of our genes by turning off good genes, turning on bad genes, or vice versa. So this reminds me of uh, of the very first chapter of Genesis, uh, the story of beginnings, the story of where we came from where God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule. In other words, we were created in God's very image with the potential to make good decisions, but we were never manipulated and forced or coerced into making decisions for good. We have always had the right to choose in a way that would be contrary to what God originally wanted us, because God wants to give us free will. He has fight this whole, fought this entire controversy for maintaining our opportunity of free will. So it, it's, uh, it's interesting that genomic scientists and geneticists are, are, are basically now saying that we are guardians of our genome, essentially echoing these words of uh, of, uh, of Genesis, that, uh, of creation, is that 
we are not victims of our, of our inheritance. We can actually adapt that and modify. There is redemption available based on the choices that we make. Now, uh, it was Oliver Wendell Holmes who uh, once stated, heredity is, is an omnibus, like a, a large van or bus in which all our ancestors ride, and every now and then one of them puts his head out and embarrasses us. And this is a great, a great phrase to help us understand transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. The, the inher- we have inherited the characteristics, not just the genes, but the characteristics of our father and mother, our grandfather and grandmother, and our great-grandfather and grandmother. Now, much of that is very good, but much of that may not be so good because there's good and bad in all of us, right? We ha- we, we, there's none of us that are perfect. We all have that, that side of us that, that can can basically cause many, many problems in our family, at work, or at school, or wherever it might be, but we have choices on how to adapt that. Now, um, so, so what about this unto the third and the fourth generation? Let's, let's get personal for, for a moment. Let me, let me tell you a few stories about my own transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. Here's a picture that was just taken about, about 15 miles from here in the Dripping Springs National uh, Forest area, uh, uh, which is a trailhead for wonderful hikes that I love taking on Saturday afternoons or, or other times when I might have a day off. And, and so as on the, on the way 79 south going, uh, going to, towards... Um, um, uh, towards Pine Springs, actually. It's about seven miles from uh, the Temecula area. And so uh, here, here I am going on a hike with my father in the middle, John, and my son, Dakota, who's in Nebraska and uh, attending Union College. And so here we have three generations. But the story actually begins with my great-grandfather, Alfred, my father's uh, grandfather. And um, essentially, in the um, early 1900s, 1915 or so, my, my great-grandfather uh, uh, actually, actually, I'm sorry, my, my grandfather, Alfred, and his brother, Gus, were, were growing up in a, in a farming family in Nebraska, and they were part of a large family. They were the oldest, the, the two older brothers, when their loving mother passed away from a, a, a horrible sickness. Just devastated the whole family. Their, uh, their father, my great-grandfather, kind of withdrew, and, and it was, was, was in mourning. It was very depressed from losing his beautiful, wonderful wife and the mother of his children, and uh, chose to marry unwisely, remarry very unwisely. And so my great, my, my grandfather's stepmother was essentially stepmother from hell. 
I mean, it was just, it was just a horrible, horrible uh, experience compared to the loving mother that they had appreciated uh, in their early years of childhood. And, and there was just a tremendous amount of verbal abuse and physical abuse coming from the stepmother, uh, all the while the father kind of just emotionally removed from the situation and letting this abuse go on and on. Now, in spite of all this trauma that occurred in their home, uh, these, these two older brothers kind of took the responsibility to protect the younger kids and, and to, uh, to do the farming, and, and they went on to be very successful in farming. And, and at one point in their lives, they actually d- decided that they were going to dedicate their lives to God, and they became Christian missionaries. Gus Youngberg going to Borneo and Southeast Asia for, for many, many years and actually died in Borneo under, under occupational forces in a, in a concentration camp. So he had dedicated his whole life to Christian missions uh, and gave his life for that. His, his younger brother, Alfred, my grandfather, uh, chose to take his family to India for many, many years and, and uh, basically uh, taking the, the message of redemption to, to other parts of the world. So these were, these were very committed people seeking to do what was right, and yet there was that element of transgenerational epigenetic inheritance that from time to time, as Oliver Wendell Holmes pointed out, raises its ugly head and embarrasses us. You see, um, uh, my, my grandfather, who was a, a beloved minister, uh, who, uh, who had a strong desire to raise his six children uh, with an understanding of, of holism, of body, mind, and spirit. He had a strong desire that his children would make good decisions and that they, that, that they would uh, uh, be honorable in every way. Um, and, and, and that's how he committed his life to it. But there was, there was one event in particular that comes up in their lives. Uh, when when uh, my, my father was the youngest of six children, and his older sister, who was 15 or 16 at the time, she was, you know, our kids challenge us, <laughs> right? It seems that children, we, when we were children, any, any children, it like, seems like their job is to see with how much they can get away with, right? I know that's certainly kind of how I viewed life when I was a kid, uh, and I'll tell you a story about that in a second. Um, but, but there's, there's always a, a somebody or something that happens that pushes our buttons, right? We... I would, I would be shocked if there's anybody in this room that doesn't, doesn't have a button on them that if it gets pushed, that it, it, it kind of sets them over the edge. And it's different for all of us. Some of us can handle all kinds of abuse, but then when some little other thing happens, we lose it, right? Uh, and so we all have that weakness in us somewhere, okay, that has been molded not just by our own life experiences, but by the life experiences and choices of four generations previous to us. And, and so uh, this, one, this one day, my, my grandfather, uh, a, a, a Christian minister, is getting his family ready for church. I'm assuming he was even preaching that day. And, and, um, and uh, one of his daughters 
said, oh, Dad, I'm so sorry. I can't make it to church today. I feel so sick. I am so sick. I can't. I really can't. And so, so my grandfather said, oh, okay. Uh, oh, sorry, you're not feeling good. Uh, get some rest, you know, and make sure you sleep and drink enough water. And, and so uh, the rest of the family goes to church. Well, when they come back from church... Here's his 16-year-old daughter flitting around the house, baking cookies, having a great time. And you go like, and, and he immediately realized that he had been manipulated, that his teenage daughter had pulled a fast one on him, and, and that infuriated him that, sh- that she would break honor with him by doing that. And because of his strong desire that she would make good decisions and that she would be honorable and that, and that she would not manipulate and be deceitful, okay? In a, in a little fit of rage that he was so righteous indignation, in quote marks, that he actually came up to her in the kitchen and swatted her like she was some little girl who had been rebellious. And that so that event uh, was so devastating to my father's older sister that, that uh, essentially what happened is that her father was so, so upset about this that he actually had to leave the house and he had to go into the barn and my grandmother um, had, to, had to go to uh, my father, who is the youngest, and say, hey, go, 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 go see if your father's okay. Because my, grandfather, my grandmother now, as I've just re, uh, learned this year, was so concerned about her husband's situation that she felt that he might even take his own life because he was so upset. He was so incensed by this, this rebellion in his own home. He wasn't handling that very well. So my dad just kind of, you know, kind of, you know, got in and just kind of got a feel for the situation and, you know, realized that he was starting to calm down and went and told his mom. I'm sorry to say that my grandfather, for whatever reason, never chose to humble himself and go to his daughter and ask for forgiveness. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, in, I'm not in any way upset at my grandfather. I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to, to decry him. I am simply being honest and open to you because I know this is an issue in every family. Uh, there's always an aspect of this in every family, and and, and this is an important lesson that I learned that puts me at risk so that I don't put my children at risk. Because, see, I have, I have inherited that, in part, that characteristic from my grandfather, which he inherited from his parents, which have been passed down ever since Adam and Eve made those fateful decisions to rebel against God. This transgenerational epigenetic inheritance is something that affects every single one of us. The consequences of our decisions 
are significant, but more important are the consequences of our unwillingness to seek restitution in our relationships. That is by far the most damaging of all epigenetic factors that influence how our genes work, is what we do after we've made mistakes. Because you know what? We are going to make mistakes. We're going to make horrible mistakes. Every single one of us, I have made horrible mistakes. But what do we do about those horrible mistakes? Because how we go about that is what determines whether we survive or not, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So one of the consequences, unfortunately, of you know, it, it could have been a generational issue, a, a cultural issue. doesn't really matter, but, but it's, the, the bottom line is that forgiveness was not sought. An apology was never made to our knowledge, and one of the consequences is that my brother's older sister, one of them, decided to reject her father, decided to reject the church of her father, and more importantly, okay, decided to reject the God of her father. Now, her father was not unblameless. Her, the father's church was not unblameless. These are, these are organizations of people that make lots of mistakes. But her decision to reject the God of her father was a horrible mistake. Because God is a God of love. So how do we, how do we um, uh, understand some of these verses I was talking about earlier? And just one quick more story before we go there. So now, what about me? How have I been impacted by my inheritance? Not just genetically, but epigenetically. How have I been impacted by inheriting characteristics of my forefathers? How is that going to impact my children and their children? Well, uh, when I was 13 years old, I had, um, I had a good relationship with my parents. And um, in fact, uh, my father made it a habit every evening, as, as every, every night as, as we're getting ready to settle down for a night's rest, he would actually come to my room and rub my back, kiss me goodnight, but part of that ritual was because of his desire for me to, to grow physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually, he would always ask me this question. He says, Wes, how are you doing? Wes, is your heart right with God? He, a strong spiritual desire to give me encouragement spiritually and in every way. And, and whenever he said that at that time of my life, the first thing that I would think of is, oh, I've disobeyed my father today. <laughs> okay. Because we had, we had a rule, my, my dad had a rule that I was not to go to my, to my uh, next door neighbor's house and watch TV. We didn't, have, we didn't watch TV during the week, sometimes during the weekend. And of course, I love to watch TV. And when my dad said, uh, you, should, you should not, you cannot go next door and watch TV. You know, I was 13 years old. I was going like, 
I'm going to do it anyways. You know, I'm going to do what I, what I want to do. You know, that's just the human factor. You know, we're going to do what we want to do many times, regardless of whether it's a rule or not. I want to go do this. So I'm going to do it. So I would do it, but then when he asked me in the evening, I had this strong sense of ethics. I could not tell a lie. I could not tell. So I'd say, well, Dad, you know, kind of frustrated me. He said, yeah, you know, actually, um, no, I, I, I disobeyed you today. And so I'd get grounded or get punished in some way. And so this would kind of, you know, irritate me that I, that I kept admitting to doing the wrong thing. Uh, you know, the human factor, the rebellious factor. And so, so ultimately, uh, one evening during our family worship at home, I'm in actually in my parents' room because my brother was away at school and in, in, in academy, boarding academy. So it was just me at home. And we were talking about something. And I forget the details, but, but all of a sudden, we have start having this, this verbal confrontation, and, and my dad had said something about, you know, my continued uh, tendency to disobey him, <laughs> right? And, and then I said, I said, you know what? I'm just not going to tell you anymore. I'm just not going to tell you anymore. And that all of a sudden, I could just see this, the ire coming up in my father. And he was, he was just Mr. Calm, Cool, and Collected the vast majority of the time. I could see something different was happening. And it's because he had now been challenged as a father. His authority as a father had been challenged by this rebellious 13-year-old boy. And, and, and so we start having this confrontation. And, 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 and he says, you will not, you know, you will not disobey me like that. You will not. Uh, uh, disregard my, my, my authority as your father like that. And I said, so oh, really? And I stood up and I walked out of the room. I was in full rebellion mode. Okay, and I went to my room and he, he and my, my mother came after, came after them. And I didn't even have a lock on my door, but I was a pretty strong, strappy 13-year-old. And I put my put my whole body weight against that door, and they were trying to get in. I'm, I'm not going to let them in my room. And then, but they had the wall to push against on the, on the hallway wall. And so they, they, they finally, I realized I was losing the battle, so I, I jumped back and I let the door open up, and I fell back on my bed, and my parents came tumbling after me. And, and my dad was so upset that he went, he went out and got some switches from the willow tree outside. He started whipping me. He started whipping me with those, and I would grab those, those willows and break them, okay? And we were like in a fight. You know, he wanted to punish me, and I wasn't about to be punished for this. I was done. Uh, it got to the point where my father realized that he needed to get a real willow, and he went and got one of those real upper green long willows, and he brought it in. And during that moment, while that was happening, I could see my mother looking at me, and she was still breathing hard, and, but she was starting to realize that something had gone horribly wrong. This was not the normal Youngberg family. And, and so as my father comes into the room, I'm sitting on my bed shaking, and he comes in with that big willow and starts to whip me, and I grab that, take it from him, and I break it over my leg. And right then my mom finally said, whoa, 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 time out. says, Dad, let's leave the room right now. They walked out of the room. And I remember I was sitting there. I was sitting there on my bed, just shaking, so upset. And I was, I was, I was starting to think about my exit from that home. I was out of there. I was ready to, 
move to California, run away to California and live with my aunt in Redondo Beach. I, I, that's, you know, I was 13 years old, but that's what I was going to do in my mind. And, uh, she, you know, she was, she was a very, very worldly uh, individual who would have loved to have me with her. And, um, and as, I'm, as I am scheming my, my, my strategy for running away from home and never coming back, I hear a soft knock on my door. And already, already that intense emotion of anger and hostility began to dissipate because I knew what that meant. It was that still, quiet, little knock of my father saying, hey, something went wrong here. We need to reconnect. I'm not sure how we're going to do it, but we need to do it. We need to go through the uncomfortable phase of saying I'm sorry and bringing back a restored relationship. And he then opened the door. There was no lock on the door. He could have just walked in and said, hey, Wes, we got to talk about this because you're way out of control. He didn't do that. He said, Wes, I'm so sorry. I acted wholly inappropriately. He didn't focus on the fact that I had been wrong. He didn't focus on the fact that I had rebelled against my father. He didn't focus on any of that because he was wise enough to realize that that would have destroyed our relationship at that point. He focused on what he had done wrong and what he could do to restore that relationship. And that has made all the difference in my life. I'm so, so grateful that my father chose to to adapt and work around and put effort and work and emotional energy into changing that epigenetic inheritance that he'd received from his father and, and, and grandfather and made sure that he broke that, that negative bond of hostility that he would have transferred to me for sure if he had not humbled himself before me and ask for, for my forgiveness. So I'm so grateful that my father was willing to rise above his inheritance, rise above that genetic risk uh, to reach me. So I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna uh, move forward to the, the, the last few slides. This reminds me of Micah 6.8. This is actually a song so that he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. This is what God is saying to us. It says, uh, what, it, what does God require of us? Okay, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is essentially the X factor for health and healing. If we don't get this right, we are not going to be anywhere near to that tipping point to optimize the healing potential in our body. And I'm talking not just spiritual. I'm talking emotionally and physically. This is the most critical factor in health and healing. We have to rise above the inheritance that we have received, and we have to be willing to humble ourselves, uh, not just before God, but before each other. Even people who have harmed us horribly who have offended us horribly, even in front of people who have no interest in restoring a relationship with us, 
we still need to humble ourselves before them in some way and to be just and to be merciful to them because how we act towards them, even though they're the ones that have, been, that have wronged us, how we act towards them may be ultimately the determining factor on whether they actually receive that peace and love and joy in their heart and therefore be able to transmit that to those around them and their children and their children's children. So let me, let me um, <clears throat> we read this Exodus 34 I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and the fourth generation. What does that mean? Does that mean that God is punishing somebody for, uh, for something that their grandparents did? No, that's not what that means. And so here's what I call the wellness paraphrase of Exodus 34.7. This is the great I am speech. This is, this is a love letter from God to you and to me to uh, encouraging us to hold fast and do what is best to be just and merciful and humble because that ultimately makes the difference between life and death physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it starts like this, I forgive all wrongs in rebellion. God says, I forgive everything, okay? I eagerly offer my forgiveness no matter how many times you have hurt me. As your creator and your heavenly father, I long to have a close and loving relationship with you. Every day I reach out to you physically, emotionally, and spiritually, even though you may reject me. I strive daily to heal our relationship and send others into your life to encourage you to come back to me. But my love is not manipulative or controlling. See, that's, that's what sometimes we misunderstand God so much. We think he's manipulating us. He's not. He's not human. He's God. Um, uh, and I will, I will not force you to love me or even accept me. Please understand that in order for my love and forgiveness to bring health and healing to your body, mind, and spirit, you must first allow it into your heart. He's not going to force that on us. He's not going to force health upon us. That's a choice that we must make. <clears throat> Unless you do this, the chemical bonds of your hostility, bitterness, and unforgiveness will become a self-inflicted curse on your whole family and will be passed down to your children and even their children up to the third and the fourth generation. Don't delay any longer. I am your creator. I have the power to recreate you. I have come that you and your children may have life and have it more abundantly I have given my all for you, and I want you to be at my side forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this verse that I misunderstood for so many years, that now through, through the increased understanding in genomic science and epigenetics, we have a glimpse as to how you operate the world and how you have created us and how you have 
have created within us the potential to, to be masters of our destiny, to be masters of our, of our genome, to make decisions that, that can take hold of the redemption that you make available to us in spite of the wrongs that we have committed in the past. And so, Lord, I just pray today that, that each individual here today will embrace this gift of forgiveness and love that you offer freely to all who would accept it. And that by accepting this, that we may learn how to humble ourselves, how to be meek, and how to be truly just with those around us so that they, they can see a glimpse of you in us and then pass down that saving grace to future generations as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.